Welcome. My name is Chris Miller, and I'm a pre-retirement and living trust and estate planning expert who's given pre-retirement workshops and keynotes for over 20 years. My message is simple, yet vital, to encourage people to prepare for retirement early to get their arrangements, both financial and spiritual, in place long before they may ever need them. I've had the opportunity to interview some of the greatest thinkers of our time in the field of personal development, positive growth, and natural healing. And because these people have made such a great impact on so many lives, the Pre-Retirement Masters Show Teleseminar Intensive Series is a chance for others to be able to hear from these experts and these visionaries in an intimate and direct way so that people can create an enormous amount of change and growth in their own life. Thanks for joining us and enjoy. With the golden ticket to a better destiny And I told my heart there'll never come a day Hi everybody, this is Chris Miller, author of the book Ready for Pre-Retirement. Plan retirement early so your money, your health, and your joy is there when you need it. You know, when you say retirement, people always think about old people. And the truth is, retirement has nothing to do with being old and everything to do with being solvent and independent. Preparing for that starts right now. I call that pre-retirement. Plan retirement early. You know, life can happen and you could end up unable to live independently at any time. Are your assets protected? Are you covered? Are your children covered? You know, what good does a million dollars do if you don't have joy in your heart? So preparing for retirement early means thinking about the future today and making choices that will give you a greater happiness and peace of mind in the years to come. And that is what I call an optimum state of mind. I'm sure you will agree the times have changed and people are having a hard time coping and wondering if they're making the right long-term decisions for their job, health, and relationships. To make these kind of choices, we we need this state of mind, and I really believe that we need great information from great teachers. So throughout my life and career, I've sought out people I regarded as wise thinkers and experts in many fields, everything from personal development to finances to legal issues to spirituality to health and natural healing. So this is how I'm going to help you. I've assembled these panels of top experts, and we're going to talk to them throughout this series And so this is a chance that you'll be able to hear wisdom from folks that you may not ever encounter in your daily life. And today I'm honored to have Dorian Mitzer, who is a board-certified coach, a licensed psychologist, and life retirement transition coach. She's a relationship coach, an executive coach, a consultant teacher author, and she is a licensed third-age coach and a second Too Young to Retire Certified Facilitator. That sounds great. She's also a member of the National Speakers Association, where we both met, and she facilitates workshops and speaks to the community and corporate and professional groups, and her topics relate to retirement 
planning for financial planners in midlife transition and retirement planning issues for individuals and couples. She's founder of Boomers and Beyond, a special interest group for professionals, and she uses her life experiences and adult development and positive psychology and holistic life planning in her work to help individuals and couples navigate the second half of life. And she also, boy, oh boy, you just you teach <laughs> you teach um, gerontology, right, at the certified program at the Regis College in Weston, Massachusetts, and she's the author with Roberta Taylor, The Couple's Retirement Puzzle. Puzzle. This is a great book, The Ten Must-Have Conversations for tra- Transitioning to the Second Half of Life. And uh, she's also a contributing author to 65 Things to Do When You Retire, Remarkable, Real, and Making Marriage a Success. Boy, oh boy, Dory, you have all kinds of goodies, and you're full of experience. But let me just ask you, how did you get to from where you were to where you're at right now? Uh, well, first of all, let me just say it's, I'm delighted to be here today. And, you know, I think for all of us, it's often a circuitous kind of journey to get where we are. Um, I always have been interested in um, life stages um, and developmental issues and found myself as I was getting older myself uh, focusing more on midlife and beyond. And then I think the turning point for me was when I turned 60, which was a few years ago now, um, I, I actually got all my friends on a conference line. Um, there was a big hype because I'm one of the leading edge you know, boomers, we all were turning 60, you know, at the same time. And so I got all my friends and, and colleagues together saying, oh, my God, can you believe we're turning 60? And we all talked about, you know, the differences now in being 60 and how it was different from our parents' generation. And um, it just got me thinking, boy, I really want to think more about positive, creative and successful aging. I want to bring together kindred spirits who want to think about and talk about these issues. And I want to work with people to help people be both conscious and intentional in thinking about, you know, how you want to live the rest of your life. Because the likelihood is many of us, um, when you reach that, quote, traditional retirement age of 62 or 65, we're going to have 20, 30, 40 more years. And that's a lot of time um, for kind of an extended mid-age adulthood, so there are many opportunities of things to do. So that's kind right. of how I got here. Right, exactly. You know, that's how I look at it. It's like that's our second life. Mm-hmm. And because we're living longer and you put, you know, age 100 as a life expectancy, you get to recreate yourself and recreate new activities that can bring in streams of income. And it, to me, it's really an exciting way to look at it and plus I'm trying to reach out to younger people so they can see that it really is a state of mind it's not one point you're going to get to and then it's all over but you know you use longevity revolution in your book that is such a cool term what does it mean and how is it impacting retirement today well I think the term was coined because people just as you were saying Chris are living longer with medical advances with people taking better care of themselves, the likelihood is that people are going to live um, 80s, 90s, 100s, 
and hopefully still be very active and vital. I think living longer doesn't necessarily mean a longer old age, but a longer kind of middle age, a longer period of time of active involvement in life. And I really do think that the earlier you can start thinking about what's next, the better. Um, in the book that I co-authored, uh, Fred Mandel, who wrote the foreword, actually said he thought a newlywed should be given the book. Not that the topics exactly were the same, but learning how to communicate together, learning how to really understand and appreciate each other's viewpoints, that, you know, the earlier people start thinking about it individually as well as if you're in a relationship, the more conscious and intentional you can be to create the kind of life you want. That's exactly, that's it. You start young. Mm-hmm. And that would be so important for young couples to really, really understand that. So what do you think, the concept of retirement, how is it changing, do you think? I think it's changing in really fundamental ways. Um, if you think about it, the concept started really back in the 1930s when Social Security came about, when the life expectancy was more, you know, late 60s, 70s. Um, people then tended to have more uh, manual labor, labor jobs so that by the time they were 62 or 65, they were really burnt out and tired. And people often, you know, sort of had this romanticized notion that we'll retire, you know, the golden years, we'll, you know, get a condo, whether it be right. on the East Coast in Florida or, you know, in California. Um, and then, you know, often people died. I think what's changed is, first of all, with living longer, many people don't want to retire. Many people can't retire because people don't want to be in a situation where they're going to outlive their money. And I think with that many years ahead, it's become clear that people need purpose and meaning in their life, whether it's paid or unpaid, but that it's important to uh, feel connected, to feel there's a purpose and meaning, to be engaged with people, um, so that I think the concept is changing. Many people, as I said, don't want to stop working. Some might not want to keep working in the way that they were. And so, you know, there, there are many different notions of how to retire. Some people want to keep doing full-time what they're doing. Some want a phased retirement where maybe they work a little less. Some people want to use their skills and perhaps work and develop an encore career where they use their skills and use it in a way where they give back and perhaps help uh, nonprofits um, or, you know, other kind of situations. Some want to volunteer. I think much of it depends on really coming to terms with what your own financial situation is so you know how much money you need to keep earning so you don't outlive your money. And then it helps you become more informed of what your options are in terms of work choices, lifestyle choices. So I think it's changing dramatically. I think people even are saying they want to retire the word retirement. Um, that right. retirement, you know, it often means disengaging, retiring from the world. And, and really, you know, when you're 62, 65, it's time for new beginnings. Exactly, uh, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, what made you decide to write the book? Well, a number of reasons. Um, There were some studies coming out of Fidelity um, Investments uh, in 2007, and then again there was one in 2011. And the reports from their surveys were that couples just aren't talking about these things. And we've realized it's, it's hard enough for an individual, but I think it's even more complicated for couples because 
you know, you may not be in sync with each other. You may really want different things. So we, you know, tried to ponder the question, you know, why aren't couples talking? And we did some focus groups, and my co-author, Roberta Taylor, and I both have worked a lot with couples. And from the focus groups, we really came up with these themes that came up over and over, and that's what we call our 10 must-have conversations. And we wrote the book for couples because there weren't things written for couples, but we wrote it with a structure so that it's really helpful whether you're an individual not in a relationship or you're in a relationship. Because the first part of each conversation is that you have to think about and figure out your own vision and what's important to you. And then the conversation can be with your partner if you have one or with friends or adult children or siblings so that the conversations can be really with whomever is a significant person in your life. You know, and I find it's just fascinating to me because I've been in practice for 20 years and counseled over 5,000 families, and it really fascinates, even within my own family, how the mom and dad don't talk to each other about <laughs> anything. So it's like, what happens if I had a catastrophic illness? What do we do? Or where's the checkbook? No, I watched that within my own family between my dad and mom when, you know, she was ill. Then he got ill, and she didn't know how to do the things that he he did. So it's so important that that communication start young. And you tell me, tell us about the title and the importance of the word puzzle. Well, I think puzzle. There, there are a number of ways. I, I love the concept and word puzzle because it's both a noun and a verb. So if you think about it, in in life there. Are, many pieces, there are many parts of our lives, uh, finances, timing of retirement, relationship with each other, if you're in a, you know, in a couple, um, relationships with children if you have them, relationships with siblings, with your parents if they're still alive, relationships with friends and community, uh, finding purpose and meaning, health and wellness. Those are all different pieces of the puzzle and they all um, interact with each other and for different people, some are more important than others, and then they impact each other. So the concept puzzle is that we've got all these different parts of our life, and it may not fit together, you know, sort of just like a jigsaw puzzle that it's going to really fit and, you know, all fit together, but it's sort of moving parts, and I think it's important to be able to think about, you know, all these different um, segments of your life, all these puzzle pieces, but then also to puzzle it out. So that that's the active verb part, that you need to puzzle it out for yourself. And if you're in a relationship, it's really kind of a puzzling it out with your partner. Um, how do you try to integrate some of what each of you want and need? And also knowing that what you want and need, you know, when you're 40 or 50 may be different from what you want and need when you're 60, 70, 80 or 90. Right. And so how did you come up with the, Ten must-have conversations. That's, that is really great. I think that's super. Thanks. Well, that actually emerged from these focus groups that we had, focus groups and also talking with friends and colleagues. We found as we you know, thought about what we were learning from the couples that we were meeting with, um, we found that these ten areas came up over and over and over again. And it's not an exhaustive list. I mean, you may find, you know, if you're thinking about your life or reading the book, 
you may find that some resonate with you and some don't. Or you may add, you know, other factors that are just really important for your own unique life. But these were the 10 that, that seemed to come up um, over and over. And so we decided that, you know, we were considering these the 10 must-have conversations. That, that's that's a really great great tips because sometimes people don't know how to wrap around the conversation and start them what to you know how to get to the point so what are some of the most important conversations for couples who are thinking about retirement well i i think i can just sort of mention all of them and i i do want to say too that learning how to talk together i think is crucial so maybe we'll get to that in in a moment too but so so the conversations are really the if when and how to retire um Talking about money and really understanding, um, we, we really advocate that people see a financial planner, regardless of how much or how little that you have. It's very helpful to work with somebody who can help you understand um, how to help maximize the money that you have so you don't outlive it. Changing roles and identity. That's a very big one because things do begin to shift as we get older. Um, Time together, time apart. Another very important one, they're changing expectations. You know, during the the kind of busyness of the what's often called the second stage of life when we're busy and accomplishing and, and building our careers, um, you know, many more women now also work out of the home and the work um, environment provides a structure of having time together and time apart. If you're beginning to think about changing that, it can have all kinds of um, ramifications in your relationship. And I think couples need to talk about what their expectations are of how much time together and time apart. Intimacy and sexuality. You know, we all need connection and love throughout our lives. And it's not necessarily an easy area for people to talk about, but I think an important one as we get older, as, you know, our bodies change, sometimes there's health issues that, that develop. Um, relationships with family. Um, this one's another one that can be very complicated. There are some people who are in very long-term relationships. We also have some second marriages, third marriages, you know, yours, mine, ours, perhaps no children. People may be to, living together but not married. There are so many sort of differences that are occurring in, in our generation. And there are many um variations in the sense of obligations and responsibilities, both financial and emotional, that um, people feel. Health and wellness, and that's a very important one. Um, studies have shown that by the age of 65, it's less genes and more attitude, lifestyle, exercise, nutrition that makes the difference of, of sort of successful or more positive aging. But to really talk about health and wellness, and, and you mentioned, Chris, you know, the important conversations of, you know, what happens if there's a crisis, you know, needing to talk about end-of-life issues, not necessarily easy to do, but important to do. Choosing where and how to live. This can be a very um, big and important issue. Some people want to stay where they are and maybe renovate a house so that it accommodates to changing needs. Other people want to downsize, move to different locations. Many important conversations in regard to that. Social life, friends, and community. You know, even in the best of relationships, you can't get everything from one person, and it's very important to have friends, 
build community, and there are many ways to do it. Some people do it through where they choose to live, other people through activities that they're involved in. And the final one, which is really important, is um, finding purpose and meaning in your life. And, you know, again, with any of these, there's no right way. But as I mentioned before, studies say that purpose, meaning, connection, and engagement are really what help people develop a sense of well-being in life. So these are all really important things to think about for yourself, but also to talk about if you're part of a relationship. That's great. And for those of you that just joined us right now, we are talking with Dorian, and she is just sharing some really great, great things with us. And I wanted to make sure that everybody knew how to reach out to you. Maybe you could tell them the best way to get in contact with you. Okay, great. Well, there there are two websites, so I'd like to quickly mention both of them. One is called... It's www.revolutionizeretirement.com. And if you sign up there, you'll get kind of the ABCs of retirement and also learn about a, a series that I have that's on the fourth Tuesday of each month at noon Eastern time, so 9 o'clock California time, where I bring some experts also to talk and share with people um, about kind of what's next in life. And then to learn more about the book, you could go to www.couplesretirementpuzzle.com. And if you sign up there, you get um, a giveaway. Right now, the giveaway is um, a little ebook on six steps for effective communication. And you can be part of the blogs, and um, that's through the Couples Retirement Puzzle. And at Revolutionize Retirement, I have a, a monthly e-zine that I send out also. Great. And those of you that want to get in contact with me, my site is Ready for Pre-Tirement, and that's R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T. We're developing an estate planning course and software that you'll be able to use to create your own living trust and powers of attorney and guardianship. So there's a lot of great things to, to share. So back to what we were talking about. What what are some of the changes that occur when people are in midlife for individuals and relationships? Well, I think there are a number of changes. And there's a term I heard that I kind of like, which is called middle essence, you know, kind of a parallel with adolescence. <laughs> and some, some people say that it, it kind of can feel a little bit like adolescence, but, you know, hopefully, you know, by the time we're 40, 50 or plus, um, we're a bit older and wiser. Um, but there are these shifts that begin to occur. Sometimes there's this restlessness, you know, kind of thinking, is this all there is or, you know, what's next? Um, if you've been raising children, you know, children usually, you know, are getting a bit older, more independent. Some might be already launched. Um, and it, it's a major role change that can begin to occur for women and men of, you know, being needed in different ways so that, you know, kids leaving home, the kind of empty nest can feel like a retirement in some ways, although one's always a parent, but it, it changes. And, you know, nowadays some kids are coming back home um, so that, you know, an empty nest may not last for that long. Um, just, I think, a questioning. Sometimes people have talk talk about, you know, that they've worked so hard and, 
and, and achieved a lot, but that their heart hasn't been in it. And I think it's not unusual around midlife for people to begin to say, you know, there's a lot I've accomplished, but I'd, I'd really like to be able to do something and leave my mark in a way where it, it just feels like my heart's part of it too. And I think that's part of why some people develop encore careers. Some people, you know, think about some of the things that they really always had wanted to do and never had time for. And so there's this, you know, sort of wanting to rebalance, re, you know, kind of figure out how do, how do I, you know, put on the front burner now things that were put on the back burner. So I think there are a lot of shifts that happen. And I think as people begin to think about not working or in a different way, there can be a lot of kind of identity confusion, sort of like during adolescence also of who am I if, you know, I don't have my resume. And it becomes very important, I think, for people, you know, to think about what are some things that give, you know, kind of specialness to your life. What are interests that you have? What are hobbies that you maybe you never had time for that you want to develop? Um, what are some things on your to-do list that you want to do so that you don't reach the end of your life having regrets of, you know, a life not well lived? I think we all you know, would like to feel like we're we're living a good life and being able to think about, you know, what's important, how do we want to be remembered, what kind of mark do we want to leave, big and small. It can be just even the way we smile at a grandchild, you know, or a, a larger project that we're involved in. But I think these are the kind of shifts that begin to occur in midlife of just, you know, thinking more about oneself, um, trying to think about what's going to give fulfillment and meaning to my life. Um, how can I give back? I think in the, the generation, you know, the boomers um, generation, you know, many people are finding that as they get older, they really are thinking about, you know, the, the way that the environment and wanting to, to, to do their part in trying to, you know, help the future generation. So there's a, a kind of sense of generativity of wanting to give back. Right. So, you know, it's really important with with couples and people to talk with each other about what's next and to talk about, you know, things that you, the unexpected. In other words, this is something that comes up a lot for me is what what would happen if I, you know, pass out or something catastrophic? Are, are we prepared? Are, do you have long-term care insurance? Uh, who's going to take care of the kids? What happens if mom and dad are in the car and something happens to mom and dad? All of those things, you know, people just don't want to talk about. They think they're going to jinx themselves or something by talking about it, but it really actually prevents it it's in a sense because you, you start creating protections and, and plans in place. So, you know, it's so important for couples to talk about what's next. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know that's something that you talk about a lot. And what what we've what we say in the book and what we really believe is that there are a variety of reasons of why couples don't talk. I think part is life is just so busy and it's you know, it's just as Chris was saying, um that, you know, who wants to talk about things in the future and, you know, sometimes the fear of jinxing things. Um I think sometimes too people just want to avoid conflict and there may be this sense, you know, we're not going to really agree on this. So let's just, you know, hope it goes away and we don't have to deal with it now. And, um, you know, a lot of people just don't want to open up 
Pandora's box. Right. And some people really just don't know how to talk together. Um, and that's part of why the first part of our book is kind of like a communications 101. It's, it's teaching people sort of the six steps of effective communication on how to, how to bring up difficult subjects, how to listen, how to think about compromising, how to begin to negotiate. Um, so that for those people who don't have those skills, uh, it's an opportunity to learn some of the skills so that you can kind of try it in a different way. Right. What do you think some of the stumbling blocks for couples are? Well, I think I mentioned a few, but I think, um, I think, well, there are a few things. I think sometimes couples can get stuck in, in what are called their positions or kind of polar positions so that it's not unusual in some relationships that, you know, people have a, a, a dynamic of win-lose, like it's my way or your way or right versus wrong. Right. And that dynamic doesn't work all that well over time. And because one or another partner may end up resenting that, you know, what they want sort of somehow gets lost. So I think, um, I think being stuck in positions, I think sometimes people view compromising as kind of giving in. And I, I think what, what I have found in my work with couples is that, you know, if couples can learn how to bring up statements using what are called I statements so that you're saying, I'm feeling such and such, or I want you to understand kind of what I've been thinking about rather than putting the blame on the other person. You know, it's so right. easy to say, you've made me feel such and yeah. such. And, you know, and if somebody says that, you know, you're going to get reactive or defensive. I mean, it's just sort of a normal thing. So, so just bringing something up in a different way can help. I think listening is key. Um, I think none of us have learned to listen and, you know, whether it be with our partners or, you know, often at work, there's a tendency where we hear the first few words and then it's very easy to say, oh, you know, I know what's going to come. So you just sort of tune out or you're thinking about your response and you're not really hearing. And, you know, you may be right that you know what's going to follow, but you can't know without checking it out. And so I think really learning to listen to each other and agreeing to disagree. You know, you may not necessarily like what you're hearing or agree with it, but I think it's important to hear it and appreciate why it's important to your partner. So with the listening, we really think appreciating is a very key part of it so that, you know, you may be able to say to your partner, I, you know, I don't really agree with you, but just help me understand why that's so important to you. And, you know, what I have found is sometimes when I've done workshops, there's one in particular where this woman said, you know, I, I never understood, I never asked my husband why that was important to him. And now that I asked him and now that I hear, you know, it really makes sense. And I, I feel like I want to go out of my way to try to help that happen because I, I understand it in a different way. Right. Um, so I think those are some of the things. I think sometimes when people, you know, haven't known how to bring up things, you know, there can be a tendency to make it like we got to talk right now and, you know, we're going to talk until we're done. What what I think is helpful, what we advise is set a safe space to talk. You know, for some people it might be at home, for some it might be on a walk, for some it might be in a public place so that you keep your voices kind of down. You know? um, and set a time limit. You know, if if you don't have the history of of really talking with each other, just start out with, you know, 15, 20 minutes. 
Because the idea is that you can, you know, with the I statement, say, you know, I, I want us to start thinking about what's next. Or I, I've been thinking about, you know, how neat it would be to travel to such and such. Or I've been worried about, you know, the money situation. Or I worry that I don't know where anything is if something were to happen to you. Or I worry that if something happens to me, you're not going to know all the passwords for, you know, my accounts. Um, so that set a time limit because then you can come back to it mm-hmm. and also turn off the distractions. Talk without distractions. So turn off the telephone or the computer or the, you know, so that you can just really focus in for however long it's going to be. Um, but I think that could help couples begin to talk. And then often if you, if you can just sort of change or listen in a slightly different way, sometimes then there begins to be a little mastery and you know, wow, it's not so hard to maybe think about talking about something else. What if your partner has a different vision about what next? Well, that happens a lot. <laughs> I think that's that's more the norm than not, and it's part of why I think, you know, the idea of starting to talk early is important. What what um, what we found and think is really very important and helpful for people is so that each of you separately develop your sense of your own vision of what you'd like to do, what's important. And then in the process of talking and compromising, you really hear from each other. And um, and I would say that more than not, couples don't see eye to eye. There can be age differences. There can be interest difference. There can be energy differences, uh, value differences. Um, so that part of what's helpful in, in this kind of creating the shared vision is it's not written in stone. You know, it needs to be flexible and fluid and with timelines. So, for example, um, there's a couple in our focus group where the husband who had, you know, was a university professor, he worked a lot of years and he just was ready to retire. And his wife, who had entered the workforce later, you know, was at her prime. And she said, I, I don't want to retire for another three or four years. And he felt it was important for him to still retire, and he did. And he kind of fumbled around for a bit and, you know, realized that he was kind of bored. So he began to do some part-time teaching. And they did respect the timeline so that, you know, they they talked sort of, you know, after about a year, a year and a half, and and the wife still, you know, wanted to stick with the three-year plan. And she did then retire at the end of the three years, and then they went for this trip that they had been starting to plan together. So having that timeline helped them uh, be able to be respectful of what each of them needed. It doesn't always work that way. I mean, you know, there have been, there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal talking about the higher divorce rate in the over 50 population. My experience is a lot of people really can work these things out, but I think the talking together is so important so that you don't end up, you know, just, you know, pulling apart because there's so many differences. But that does happen, too. Right. I, I, I think the reality is now that we're living so much longer, and now I, I think this, what, what I had learned from this article and some of the reading I've done is now that more women uh, have become breadwinners and, and earning their own income and more independent and people are living longer, you know, many people say, I don't want to be in this unhappy marriage for the rest of my life, which might be another 30, 40 years. And so, you know, some people do, you know, recognize that um, maybe when the kids are gone or, you know, with the kind of changes that happen at midlife that 
you know, the marriage is not working for, for both of them. So that, that sometimes happens. And, but other times, you know, I hear from many couples where, you know, there can be the stresses and strains, but that many couples say that this next stage of life is actually the, the best part of life. Um, because there's a time to nurture the relationship more and to, to really take care of each other and each person taking care of themselves more fully because there perhaps are less sort of external pulls and responsibilities. Right. So along the way, you just have to keep reevaluating your vision, Ab- right? Absolutely. It's got to be fluid and flexible because you, you alluded to it also, Chris, they're curveballs that come in life. You know, and you can, you know, whether it be a curveball financially, you know, with the ups and downs of the market or, you know, the housing market, you know, has changed and, you know, what people thought was an amount of their asset might not be, you know, what they could actually sell it for. And then health issues that happen. And, you know, we we can have the best of plans, but there's a need to be flexible and resilient because, you know, basically we also have to deal with the cards we're dealt. Exactly. And expect the unexpected. And expect the unexpected. Right. Right. So how do you deal with other people's expectations of you for your partner, your children, your grandchildren, your parents? Or <laughs> well, I think I think the talking is key um, because they're going to be there. Um, so I can give you a you know a couple of examples if if that would be helpful. Sure. Um, so one of the couples in the book. Um, just they had this light, nice arrangement. They both worked long hours. Um, she worked longer than he did in the evening time, so he went out with his friends um, for drinks, you know, after work. And then they, you know, generally would get home around nine o'clock at night and have dinner together. Well, the wife Ginny decided that she just was just didn't want to work full time anymore, and their finances allowed it, and and she was able to negotiate and cut her time back so she got home earlier and they hadn't talked anything about what they expected of each other so she got home and her vision was I want to make these, this wonderful dinner for Doug and we're going to have these romantic evenings and it's going to be so nice and Doug you know sort of you know he respected that Ginny didn't want to work as much but he didn't think that that had any impact on how he used his time so he kept going out with people after work and more and more resentment built in Ginny because, you know, she would have her eaten dinner by the time he got home and she was just furious and they just got angrier and angrier at each other. And finally, they realized they had to talk about it because their relationship was in, was in jeopardy. And she was able to talk about what her expectation was. And, you know, Doug really didn't know that that was her expectation. So with understanding it, you know, they compromised so that he had a couple of nights during the week that he could be, you know, out after work. And then they knew that they could count on being together. And they actually also signed up for a class together. So they opened up this creative space for the we, talked about expectations and made it work. Same kind of thing. Um, you know, there may be this idealized fantasy. I want to live near my grandchildren and my children. It's very important to talk with them about it. They may, first of all, not want you there, or they may want you there, but also envision that, oh, great, you know, when they're there, they'll be able to do all the childcare. 
And you may want to be there and be involved in activities but not do all the child care. Right. Or you may want to do more of the child care and they don't want you to. Or they may be considering a job change and so you're you know, move somewhere and then suddenly they're not there. So it's very important to talk with the particular people that are involved in it so that you just know what what you're expecting from each other so you don't end up disappointing each other um, or don't disappoint each other as much. Same right. kind of thing if kids were to, you know, come back home. You know, sometimes, you know, with the economy now, some kids aren't finding jobs or some are getting divorced and needing to live back home. It's very helpful if possible, before that happens, to talk about what the expectations are. You know, kind of what are, what responsibilities will there be if the kids are, if grandchildren are also coming in, who's going to do what? You know, who's going to make the decisions? It's just a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, it's so, what, the sandwich generation, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, well, how would you get the reluctant partner involved? (laughs) Well, well, that's, that's always a, hard question too and it's it's often the case that there's one person more interested than the other mm-hmm. um, part of what I would recommend is the partner that's interested you know pick up the book read the book you know I think one person can be a change agent in a relationship what you may find helpful is you know if you just using the book as an example if you look at how you're communicating and maybe try to talk about things in a different way that may help in the way it's heard. Uh, you may also find that um, you need to work on aspects of your own vision and, you know, your husband's not, or it could be either way, because I've seen it go either way, that your partner, whether it be the male or the female, just, you know, isn't interested. And, you know, parts of it you may just need to think about on your own and, and say, you know, I really want to do you know, such and such, and I'd really like to do it with you, um, but it's very important to me. So if you don't want to do it, that's okay. This is where the expectations come in, but I want to I want to figure out a way that I'm going to be able to do it. So that could help. Sometimes, you know, I even advise people, you know, have a dinner party, you know, invite people over, have a potluck dinner, and, you know, raise issues. You know, gee, have you started thinking about, you know, retiring? Do you think you ever will or, you know, what what do you think about when you think about getting older? Um, it, in the book, actually, there's a reading group guide, so there are a number of questions at the end. Um, what I have discovered is if if you start in sort of a more normal, general way, maybe not even focusing on what's going on between the two of you, um, it often can get people talking together. When we brought people together for the focus groups, it was really interesting. Sometimes it was more the woman or sometimes the man or, you know, one partner or another who kind of dragged the other one to the to this, um, focus group. But what happened was everybody there, when they started hearing what other people were saying, got very involved in talking about it and um, and and said, gosh, you know, we hadn't talked about this together but it's so nice to know we're not alone and I'm not crazy in whatever my ideas are. So I think one person can, you know, just be creative of, you know, ways to bring it up and maybe not head on, you know, direct because that might not work with your partner. But, you know, think about, you know, some ways or situations where you can bring some of the conversations up. Um, another real, just real quickly to mention, um, 
in the book, there's this, what we call it, our quick and dirty assessment. And we basically, you know, and it could be a fun way to start. We, we say, you know, answer, each of you in a relationship answer, and it's really basically got the 10 issues. Like we've talked about the timing of retirement. We've talked about finances. We've talked about relationships with family. And you just answer true or false. We have talked or we haven't talked. And then you compare the lists. And it's very interesting if one person says, oh, yeah, we talked about that. And the other says, no, we didn't. You know, or you both say we did. And if there happens to be one where you both said you did talk about it, start with that one. Because then there's at least agreement that you've begun to do a little bit of talking about it. And then perhaps you can start with that and go a little bit into more depth. Wow. You know, so it might be about where to live or it might be, um, you know, about relationships with children or something. But, but if there is one, you know, try to pick one that you think will be easier to start with. So it's kind of a practice. Right. Do you, well, do you think it's okay to have other family members involved in those conversations? So what's how? Well, absolutely. I'm, issues, you know. Well, I mean, partly it depends on the issue. So the one you were bringing up, Chris, about where things are or end-of-life issues, I, I am a strong believer that if you have adult children, you know, or kids, even if, I mean, there's different ways of defining adult, I guess, but um, it, I think kids need to know that, you've thought ahead and things are going to be taken care of. I I agree with what you had said before. I I often say it's an act of love to, um, and and again, based on the age of the kids, you know, you don't want to overwhelm a child. But if, you know, if somebody's an adult, the adult children, you know, it's important that they know or that your partner knows where things are, where are the keys for the car, what are the accounts, what are the account numbers, what are the passwords, um, who are the key people if something were to happen? You know, who's the name and number of an accountant, the name and number of an attorney if you have one, uh, the long-term care policy, uh, health care proxies, um, power of attorney. All of these things can be talking about with, e- with each other, but I think it's very important that another person also be privy to the information in case something were to happen to, to, to both of you. And I know we don't like to think about that, but it, it's, it, it is an act of love. It's an act. It actually frees you up, even though it can, you know, people avoid it and they don't want to have wills or don't want to think about the long-term care insurance. But my experience is that once you've done it, there's this sense of relief that, you know, things are taken care of. But even with that, you need to reevaluate it periodically. Make sure it's up to date. If you still have young kids, you know, they're really, it's very important that there be provisions that, you know, if they're still minors, that there's guardianship or that they're taken care of. And regardless of how much or little money that you have, you do need to think about these things because things happen unexpectedly. And it, 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 it just, it's, it's important and it's an act of love for whoever survives to know what's happening. And if people are part of your life and, and old enough to be part of the conversation, I think it's helpful to have it be part of it. In, in the book, oh, were you going to say something, Chris? Go ahead. Well, I was just, you know, people don't understand the, the importance of those things, and yeah. and it doesn't really dawn on them till it happens within their own family. I can really right. attest to that after talking about long-term care for 20 years with people and, and the depth of that when it really happened within my own family 
wow, then it really made me look at, you know, that people need to understand this younger. And right. if 7 out of 10 people, when you're over 65, have a convalescent situation, right. and it was yep. it, two, 2 out of 7 or something mm-hmm. under 65. Yep. So, so it's a it's a huge disaster that people need to be prepared for. But, right. um, so, what what would you give us a few tips working with couples who are going through this transition? Well, I think I think one of the first that I would say is really don't be afraid to bring it up, or if you are afraid, try to push through your fear of bringing it up. What what I have seen happen, even in couples where they they haven't yet found ways to communicate, you know that it, it's a little bit of a leap of faith. But you know, if in fact you're trying to bring things up in a way where you're being respectful of your partner and really trying to think about and be respectful of the relationship, there really are ways to try to help bring your partner along. To say, you know, I've just, I'm, I'm not happy with, you know, the way, you know, we don't talk about finances, or I worry that if something were to happen to you, I, I, I don't trust that I would know what to do or how to take care of things, and you know, that can work on both sides, but I think the, the trying to push through the fear, I think is, is one thing I would say. The other is. Um, Think about what's important to you. Um, it's your life too, and you know it's very important to you know. There's so much we can't control, so I think it's very important to try to control the parts you can. And I think that you know if you can keep in mind kind of this win-win paradigm, you know that we're kind of in this together. You know we want to have a good life. We want to be respectful, kind of thinking about those positives. Then it's a matter of trying to figure out how can we together shift from being caught in these, you know, kind of right, wrong, all, none situations so you can be happier with each other. I have found that when couples take that leap of faith and talk about some of the difficult, you know, conversations, that they actually end up feeling more intimate and closer with each other because they begin to feel like they're you know, kind of more on each other's team. So I would say don't be afraid to talk. Try to think about win-win. Think about being on the same team. And and try to keep in mind the I statements. And, you know, we actually came up with an acronym, which I like, which is have a blast when you talk. So it's so just quickly, blast is blaming gets in the way. Um, listen without interrupting. Agree to disagree, don't make assumptions, and really appreciate what you're hearing, even if you don't agree with it. Set a safe space to talk. Set a time limit for it, and talk without distractions. So turn off the TV and the phone. And if you can kind of keep those fundamentals in mind, it might it might help with your conversations with each other. Those are great tips. How would this retirement planning be different for individuals who aren't part of a couple? Well, I think that the issues are the same, but first of all, you have to just deal more with yourself or with the other people that are part of your life. I think if you're not in a couple, or I should say even if you are in a couple, the likelihood is that at some point or another in our lifetime, most of us are going to be alone, or many of us will be alone. Um, if 
you're not in a couple, I think it's particularly important to think about your friendships. I think it's important to think about your connection and community with people. It may be more important to think about some of the alternative living situations so that there are people around. Um, some people stay in place and there's now a village concept where people can sort of put money in and purchase services together so that, you know, you can get someone to drive you if you need to get to a medical appointment and can't drive. Uh, there's the transition network, which is based in New York but has chapters all over the country, have a lovely model that many people are replicating called a caring collaborative, which I think is helpful to think about where people literally help each other. And the model is sort of um, you bank hours. So you put in a certain number of hours of helping people and then, you know, you get a certain number of hours of people helping you. And, you know, there are many different kind of models, but that's a model where it's it's time served rather than money put in um, for people, you know, helping each other. I think if we're alone, um, it's very important to to have a community, to have a support system. I think the finances, I think the timing of retirement, um, building in, you know, supports for yourself are, are very crucial. There are too many studies that say that if people get too isolated um, as they get older or really almost at any age of life, but particularly as you get older, if people get isolated, there can be a higher incidence of um, depression, of, you know, alcoholism, drug use, you know, things that aren't necessarily going to help you live as healthily. So, you know, I think for everybody, whether you're alone or in a relationship, thinking about, you know, who's on your team, you know, who's the support, uh, where do you want to live, um, you know, how to, to the best of your ability, take care of yourself, you know, the exercising, learning, relaxation, stress management, good eating, um, all of that's important, you know, whether you're alone or with somebody, but, you know, right. particularly if you're alone. Right. And then, of course, I'll throw in that you want to make sure that you have all those documents in place for oh, ab- yeah, powers absolutely. of attorneys and your long-term care insurance so you can be taken care of in your own home and and your bottom under your retirement and you're not invested in, you know, risky places. And there's a whole bunch of planning that needs to be put in place, but, but those are really amazing tips. And I love that model, everybody helping each other, the community. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that model, and you can start with some of the tips that Dory shared with us today. And Dory, tell everybody again how they can get in touch with you and get some of those tips that you're sharing today. Okay, so two ways. One, um, www.revolutionizeretirement.com, and the other is www.couplesretirementpuzzle.com. And the book is available Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, either paperback or Kindle or Nook. Um, and it would be great if, um, you know, if you sign up and you'll get the information or you can reach me at uh, Dorian at DorianMincer.com. And I'm happy to answer questions if you have any. Wonderful. And for everybody else, my name is Chris Miller and you could reach out to me and get the uh, pre-order my book, which is Ready for Pre-Tireman, and that's www.r-e-a-d-y-f-o-r-p 
P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T.com. I also have a lot of great articles that you can read at my blog, which is Chris Miller, Money Maestro. And, um, Dory, if you... We're pretty much near the end of our time, but maybe you could wrap us up and give us a cherry on top of something that you'd like to to leave our audience with. Um, okay, I would. I think that what I'd like to leave with you is have a blast when you talk, <laughs> as I said before. <laughs> but um, but also take the time. I, I think what Chris said is so important that you know it's so easy to put off some of these important and courageous conversations. But the more that you take charge of your own life, the freer and more empowered you'll feel, whether it be the documents, um, conversations with people. I, I wanted to also add one other document that's important, which people don't often think about, is the HIPAA. You know, that you need to sign and say who you want to be able to get information about your health care, and it's even more important. I mean, it's important to have that for your partner, but if you're alone, it's very important that you have somebody who's, you know, support and important in your life that that you sign so that a doctor will will talk to that person um, around your health care issues if you're not able to communicate for yourself. It's sort of tied in a little bit with health care proxy, but separate. But that's a bit of a tangent. But back to sort of my final takeaway would be, um, really think about having a blast when you communicate. Think about these coming years as really exciting opportunities to live life with, with intention and purpose and meaning. And, you know, we've got these bonus years ahead and, you know, it's so important to embrace them so that you can, you know, really enjoy them and, um, and, and be able to not reach the end of your life having regrets of what you hadn't done so that, it's sort of thinking forward and backward at the same time um, so that you can kind of move ahead in a, in a way that gives pleasure and meaning to you. Now that sounds beautiful. And I really, Dora, I really want to thank you for being with us today and, and sharing your, your passion, your life's work, and things you've learned counseling and talking with people. And, um, and we'll look forward to extending this and maybe having some in-depth conversations on some more things. And again, everybody that's listening, you can contact Dorian at thecouplesretirementpuzzle.com or revolutionizerretirement.com. And my name is Chris Miller, and I'm the author of the book Ready for Pre-Tirement. And go by my blog, which is read all kinds of great articles, which is Chris Miller Money Maestro. want to thank you all for for joining us today and I hope you have a totally blessed day and enjoy yourself. Thank you so much. Found out you can't take the curve at 85 My whole life flashed before my eyes I brace myself to leave this world behind As a million questions raced across my mind Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any soul? Was I worried about my own? 
embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter. Did I matter? That moment I became a brand new me With the golden ticket to a better destiny And I told my heart there'll never come a day When I'd have to search inside of me and say Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I say any soul? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day, faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did, did I matter? I hope I can be a voice of inspiration and my story finds you well Cause when the curtain falls there ain't no second chances and you don't wanna ask yourself Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I had to give? Did I save any souls? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did I matter?